Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I'm so glad that you could all tune in. I am thrilled to death to have the guest that we have today. His name is Phil Torres, and he is the host of a brand new TV show on the CW Network, one of my faves. Um, It's called Ready, Set, Pet, and I am really excited to talk with him today about his brand new show. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Phil. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much. It was the best summer ever of filming this show, and there's so many amazing moments in it and amazing lessons, and I'm just so happy to be here talking to you about it. Well, and I, I saw just a, a little clip, like a 10-minute clip on your Facebook page, and I'm super psyched about this show because uh, my family loves rescue pets, and I love the fact that your show is helping people find their furry friends at shelters and local rescues. Talk to us, Phil, about why that's such an important part of the show. You know, I really feel like that is the heart of the show, just really helping people realize that there's animals out there that need our help. And there are millions in shelters every year and not enough people to adopt them. And I think we've met so many families that are looking for a very specific breed. They have this image in their mind of what they're looking to adopt, and that's understandable. You know, they've probably interacted with a German shepherd they love, or they see this, you know, one type of mix on Instagram all the time that they would love. Um, And so they have this preconceived idea of what they want in a dog. But let me tell you, shelters are this incredible, fun place where you get to meet your dream dog that you couldn't even imagine. And I really think it's important that more people give shelters a chance. And you should start in a shelter because it's, it surprises the people every time when they adopt this dog that it wasn't exactly what they had in their mind, yet they absolutely love it and take it in and it becomes a part of their family. And so just this core of making sure that each episode we're doing something good and we're making sure that a dog in need finds a family in need and gets to join their family. And, um, and you know, that's just one aspect of the show, but it's, it's a great one. And um, we love seeing it every time. And the shelters in the New York City area and beyond are just fantastic. They, they really do a great job of finding these dogs, really getting to know them, and then also making sure that they find the right family that can fit within their lifestyle. Right, and I think that's so crucial. And, you know, it's funny, we've had, in my family, we've had uh, four dogs and a cat that are all rescue animals, and to us it seems normal. But I think a lot of people have trepidations um, if they've never had exposure to a rescue pet. And I, I love the way that you're showing that, you know, any family in, in any sort of lifestyle setting can find that forever friend um, at, a, at a local shelter. I just love that. One of the other cool aspects of Ready, Set, Pet is that while families are out looking for a pet, you have some people from your show who come to their home and they create a safe, eco-friendly space for the new pet. Talk to us about some of the eco-friendly upgrades that you and your crew have made to people's homes so far in the show. You know, we have a fantastic design team that I'm working with, and we really love this part of the show because we take somebody's 
living situation, no matter what it is, and we say, okay, there's work to be done. And, you know, I'm somebody who used to live in the jungle, and now I live in New York City. And when I got to the city, I realized, like, you know, I want more green around me. I want to make some eco-friendly upgrades myself. And I found it was kind of challenging to find the right resources or the right moves to make. So that's been a really fun aspect of the show is helping people take whatever situation they're in and making it more eco-friendly, more nature-friendly. We've had people with balconies or rooftops, tiny apartments, big, beautiful backyards, anything. And some of the things that we like to do when it's an apartment is you take things like non-toxic plants and really spruce up the place. And that's important because a lot of cats and dogs get very curious with plants around and sometimes they like to chew on them. And Mm -hmm. not that there's many house plants out there that are, you know, super dangerous, but still you want to make sure that this is something that the dog or cat will be comfortable with. Um, We love putting in indoor veggie gardens using LED lights. We love upcycling people's furniture because lots of times they'll have something that's just been in the room for way too long and they want to get rid of it. And we say, okay, wait a second. There's a way to spruce this thing up, maybe repurpose it and maybe make it the place where you keep all your dog toys now and uh, make it the little dog palace. So, Um, there's a lot of little things that can be done, uh, just making people's homes feel more nature connected, whether it's inside or outside. And another thing that I really care about, and it's been really great to do in people's backyards is native plants. And that's really a movement that has been starting to pick up here in the U S where people realize that, okay, a lot of what we decorate our yards with come from far off places and they don't necessarily contribute to our environment in the way that you would like them to. Um, You know, maybe they look pretty, but that doesn't mean that hummingbirds are going to visit them or butterflies are going to visit them or bees are going to visit them. So making people realize that there's a way to upgrade your environment that is great for your family. It is great for your pet and it's great for the nature around you that already lives in your neighborhood. I love that. And I think there's so many lessons to be learned from both what you're doing with the pets, but also what you're doing with um, the living space. A lot of great lessons that I'm looking forward to learning as we watch Ready, Set, Pet. You know, besides being our companions, of course, having a pet can teach us a lot of good life lessons. What are some of the things that you're hoping that your viewers will learn from watching your show about pet ownership? There's, there's a couple big things that really stand out to me here. Um, one is the fact that you need to have an open heart, an open mind, and give a pet a chance. I think we, you know, we kind of touched on this before, but people don't realize that if you spend enough time with a dog and you take it in, that dog begins to trust you and be begins to rely on you and you begin to trust it and rely on it for companionship. And you can have this really beautiful relationship and beautiful addition to your family if you just give a shelter pet a chance. So I think that's one of the really important lessons that kind of shows what can happen if you start to treat people the same way. You know, if we start to take people in more and build relationships and trust each other, And so we we really want kids and families who are watching this to be able to see that lesson of just being open-hearted. And the other thing that I love about pets 
that really was what made me have dogs and fish and snakes and bugs and all these different things as pets when I was a kid is that it connects you to nature. You know, if you have a dog, you have to take it outside a few times a day. And you may not be the type of person who would have taken a walk or gone to explore your local park, but now you have this furry excuse to go out there. And I really love that within the show, we have this connection between a pet and nature that isn't always intuitive, but it's out there. Dogs love exploring nature. And so I think it's, it's really wonderful to kind of follow their lead and see where they go and use that pet as an excuse to connect with your neighborhood in a way that maybe you've never connected before. I love that. And I think another thing just for me, I know that I've seen this with my three kids, is that they've learned a lot of compassion, you know, for their pets. And I think that sometimes, and I've talked to shelter leaders, you know, executive directors of nonprofits who run shelters, and they feel like that element of compassion is such a great lesson for kids and adults, of course, alike, to learn from pet ownership and to, you know, and, and showing love to that pet because it can oftentimes translate into compassion for human beings. And our world can Absolutely. use a lot more of that. And, uh, and so I, I love that aspect of it as well. Um, so I, I did, as I mentioned, I watched one of the episodes where a mom and her daughter were choosing a dog for their Brooklyn apartment, and I, it was so great. It's on the Facebook page, you know, for the show. Um, and I'm just wondering, what can we expect in terms of, you know, some of the types of families and the type of living spaces that your show will feature? You're going to have, like, lots of different types of families and lots of different types of learning spa- or living spaces? Absolutely. You know, America's landscapes are as diverse as America's families. And we want to make sure that everybody who's watching gets a chance to see somebody that they can relate to and really see that no matter who they are, no matter what their living situation, we've had people who live in, you know, basement apartments with no windows. And then we have people who live in these big, beautiful homes with, you know, white picket fence. And everybody could use a little bit of, you know, a little bit of eco-friendly lessons in their life and everybody can adopt the right pet to their right living situation. And that's one of the things that we really try to match people with the right pet and the right home with the right pet as well to make sure that that pet will have a nice fulfilled life. So yes, we, we love the diversity aspect of it. And that's really been a, a kind of bonus to working on the show is just meeting so many fantastic people in so many different scenarios that are all looking for that same thing. I love that. I really do. And I think, you know, it's going to be such a fun show for people to watch. And I'm just wondering, you know, who you consider your target audience. Um, You know, when you're taping the show, who do you envision being on the other side of that episode? You know, I want to show that kids can watch alongside their parents. I think that's really important for me to have that kind of time where parents and kids can hang out together. They can talk about, you know, which dog would they choose or what would they do in the yard or they do in the home and kind of see themselves on screen. So we want families to come together to watch this and while they're at it, learn a few things. And and that's the little bonus part. 
I love that. I love that. And I think you're going to have a tremendous audience. I mean, the CW is a great network. Um, their programming is so solid. And uh, I'm just really excited for you, Phil. We're going to take a quick break here in just a moment and uh, take in some commercials, maybe even a few callers. So, folks, don't go away. We've got so much more Go Green Radio right after this break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you can all join us. I just am so excited to bring this guest that we have to you today because he's got a brand new show on the CW. Very cool network with a lot of great programming. His show is going to be airing on Saturday mornings and it's called Ready, Set, Pet. Phil Torres is our guest today. Welcome back, Phil. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so happy to be here. You know, we have a lot of college students who listen to Go Green Radio, and they are always so curious about how people end up in cool green jobs. And and I think you've got one. I mean, there's a great environmental message to your new show and some of the work that you've done in the past. I think it would be really fun for them to hear a little bit about Phil Torres when he was a college student and when you were a college student and what your interests in nature and the environment were at that time. Yeah, you know, college was a blast to me because I was finally surrounded by people who 
were totally into the same things that I was into. And that was like a really special place for me to be because I would have all these conversations and learn so much every day about these things that I always wanted to learn about. So I think I was very fortunate in that I basically knew since middle school, I wanted to go to Cornell University and study entomology because I loved bugs. I loved butterflies and bees (laughs) and all these things. And I kind of had my heart set on it. So when I got to college, all of a sudden I was like, wait, I can take like three entomology courses a semester and learn all these things and be surrounded by people <laughs> who are into these same, same things too. And that was, that was really exciting. And pretty soon after being in college, I was getting some opportunities to work abroad. And my first expedition, I think I was 19. And we were, went down to Venezuela for three and a half weeks doing some field work down there with a uh, other entomologist and we found I think 40 new species in three and a half weeks. And I was like, Whoa, Whoa, this is a, this is a pretty cool job to have. And it was kind of this, this dream that I always had to be able to go out there and do that kind of thing. And then that summer I was working in Mongolia and we also found some new species and I was the one of only like three Americans on this big international team of scientists, including a bunch of Mongolian scientists and it was, it was amazing. And there was all of these stories that would happen that I realized that a lot of scientists around me would, yeah, it would happen to them, but they, they didn't really care about telling that story. You know, we were held at gunpoint a couple of times in Venezuela looking for bugs out there. We were lost in a forest full of quicksand in Mongolia looking for bugs out there. And so if you just start a conversation with being like, hey, let me show you this tiny aquatic water beetle that I do research on, most people just aren't that into it. And I, and I can understand. <laughs> but if you start a story about, you know, this time I was in this, this forest in Mongolia where the locals said it was inhabited by a devil and it was full of quicksand, I, I think that, that draws people into science a little bit more. So I really start to realize that, hey, there's this, there's this storytelling out there that I see people do writing for science, that people do photography, people do videos. And I grew up loving watching documentaries and people like Steve Irwin on Animal Planet. And I just kind of thought, like, maybe I could do something like that. And it was I one thing so about right. college. You know, one thing about college yeah. that I, I realized is that a lot of professors have only been a scientist their whole life. And so I was kind of told, this is what you should do. You should go on to be a professor. But once I started looking outside and seeing what else is out there in science, I was like, oh, there's, there's a lot of things I could do in life. Well, and storytelling and science, you know, haven't always gone together. And you're right. Sometimes it's limited to a pretty academic environment. I mean, Bill Nye, the science guy, kind of broke through that. But there haven't been a lot of other people bringing science um, and storytelling together in the way that you've been able to. And I remember as a little kid watching reruns of Jacques Cousteau and, you know, some of his underwater expeditions. And it was the first time that I had seen anything like that. And I was enthralled. And I think that, you know, in the 21st century, when young people are so into stories and so into especially videos and photographs that take them somewhere else, what you've been able to do, and we're going to talk about some of those projects, is exactly what's needed to inspire more kids into STEM and, and help them see the really cool side of science. Um, and well, so thank you. I, you ended up in the Amazon, which is so crazy. Yeah. Um, 
I'd love for you to talk to us about how you ended up there and then some of the things you did there. Well, you know, it literally started with me as like a seven or eight year old kid. My mom said that sometimes I wouldn't be able to fall asleep because I would just be like sitting there in bed, imagining being in a rainforest and catching butterflies and being an <laughs> adventuring scientist. And that, that would just like get me so excited. And that was always my dream. And there was some some pretty expensive trips that I wanted to go on when I was a kid. And my parents were like, you know what? Like, we can't exactly afford this right now. But I have a feeling that if you really stick to this passion and, and you know, take on that responsibility of trying to do this life, then they just kind of thought I'd figure out a way to do it. And I think I, I really took that moment and said, okay, like, I'm going to kind of set my my mind on what are the little decisions I can do throughout high school or throughout college to make sure that I end up in this dream that I've had and get to do all these things. And somehow, you know, I was, I was very fortunate to end up getting an opportunity like that. And so my first job, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I was working at a, a museum, the California Science Center there, which was, which is great. I was able to do talks and work on their exhibits, but I missed the jungle, and I still had never fully lived in the Amazon. And I found this job listing, and it paid $150 a week, and <laughs> you had to do a minimum year commitment, but you'd be running or helping run a biological field station in the middle of the jungle. And I felt like my qualifications kind of added up to that. And I was like, all right. I told my friends at the time, I was like, I'm going to apply for this job and see what happens. And they're like, okay, right. And sure enough, I ended up getting the job and uh, I had to sell my mattress and sell my car to afford to take the job. But I kind of knew, <laughs> and a lot of people looked at me like I was a little bit crazy, but I, I think my family really knew that I was making this choice. And it was, it was a gamble, certainly, because I didn't know too much about the company I was working for. Uh, I'd never worked in Ecuador before, but I, I just kind of thought in my head, like, this makes sense to have a chapter of my life where I'm spending a year in the middle of the rainforest and really taking it all in. And so I, my first job was helping to run this biological field station. We would have students from a lot of the UK and Australia and US come in that we would train up. We had a research program we were running there. We would work with the local tiny towns that were nearby to teach their kids and help the adults with different sustainability and farming. Um, we would have to negotiate with the government when they were trying to come through and knock down half the rainforest that we were working in. It was, it was insane. I mean, the hours we would have, sometimes we'd be up at 4 a.m. to do a bird survey, and then you'd be out until 1, 2 a.m. doing a reptiles and amphibian survey at night. And so it was, it was wow. wild, and it was exhausting, but it was so thrilling. And that's when I started to do – Twitter was kind of picking up at that point. So I started to tweet from the Amazon. We wouldn't have Internet all the time, but every once in a while I would have some photos stored up, and when we'd go to a town every four or five weeks, I could upload some stuff. And I got the attention of an ecotourism company in Peru – I said, hey, once you're done there, why don't you come down to Peru and just kind of be our, see what happens down here. If you work <laughs> at our lodges and kind of talk to people and tell stories of what happens. And so I started doing that. And it was this magnificent area. It's called Tambopata, Peru. And I still actually lead trips down there once or twice a year. 
and it was it was awesome. And they really just kind of said, "Here's a camera, um, here's a blog to write on, and do what you got to do." And so that's when I that's started to so learn photography. Cool. And I was terrible at photography at first, but then I got I got better. <laughs> and uh, first, I thought I was a good photographer because I was seeing cool things. And then I was like, "Wait, that's all on the cool thing I'm seeing. That's not on me." So. I, I just really started to practice that craft and we were really successful on the internet. We had some of our discoveries would make it onto international news, um, would be the top trending things on Reddit. And it was all from this little pocket of the jungle. And I thought, okay, there's something to this here. What else can I do to mm-hmm. make this even bigger? Yep, and and you did, and we're going to talk about that after we take a quick commercial break. Don't go away, folks. We've got so much to cover with Phil Torres. We'll be right back after this break. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in and so glad that we have, like, such a cool guest. When you look at Phil Torres' bio, he started off at, you know, Cornell University studying biology and entomology. And as he mentioned in the last segment, he's super into bugs. And in fact, Phil, I saw a YouTube video with you. It's this huge, I'm not sure what kind of bug. It looks like a scary one to you, though, on your face. Um, and you have this cool YouTube series called um, 
what is it, Jungle Diaries, which is so fun. And I, I'd love for you to talk to our listeners about Jungle Diaries, and then tell us how you got into... Um, it's so fascinating. Thanks. You know, I, uh, when I was living in the rainforest, I would have some mornings where I'd be like, you know what, I just don't feel like walking around today. I don't feel like getting out there and, and seeing what the forest has for me today. And I would just feel kind of like, you know, if you spend enough time there, sometimes you have those mornings, just like I have those mornings here in New York City where I just kind of want to stay <laughs> in. Um, but every time I'd say, you know what, let's just grab my camera take a hike, maybe take a different trail and just see what happens. And every time I would see something that I had never seen before and I would have a really special moment that I would be like, I'm really glad I did this because I just made a new observation or um, saw a new species I've always wanted to see. And sometimes you literally find a new thing that nobody else has ever discovered before. And it really kind of, it, caught my mind that I was like, you know what, I kind of want to create something that shows the wonders of what even a single day in the rainforest can, can have for you. Every single time, no matter what day of the week it is, uh, the rainforest doesn't take a day off, and it always has something surprising. So I started this YouTube channel called The Jungle Diaries to, to really document some of these things that I would find and, and really show how special these creatures are, whether they are tiny and mysterious, or they are a big giant earthworm that is like the length of your arm, or it is a tailless whip scorpion, which is, I think, the huge bug you saw on my face. And it yes, I so think it was, yeah. <laughs> it looks horrendous, but it is like a sweetheart. Like, if you pick it up nicely, it's just, it's really nice, and you can put this thing on your face, and that's, <laughs> It's one of those pastimes, I guess you could say, that like when, you're, when you live in the middle of the jungle, there's not a lot of things to go out and do, right? There's not <laughs> like, hey, let's go to the movies. None of that. So you got to create your own sort of entertainment, and, and the forest becomes your playground. And so you just you have some late <laughs> nights, so you're like, hey, you want to try putting this on your face? And you're like, sure. Go for it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I promise you, know, you now Bill, become, not everybody would come to that conclusion, but... I'm so glad you, you did. It you spend enough time with me video. in the jungle, you'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you ended up on a show called Techno, which is super cool, and especially for people who are into science and, and they love to find out what makes things work and how things work. Um, that show's really cool. How, how did that come about for you? You know, I had already done a few TV segments here and there, and I was really trying to make TV a bigger part of my career. And then I got a call from some producers that said, hey, we want to do a show about science, but that is by scientists. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And so they got this amazing gang of scientists that I'm still really close friends with and I see all the time. We had some fantastic PhD neuroscientists. We had satellite engineers. We had... Um, former CIA person who worked in technology. We had like some amazing people all together and then they brought me in as the host of the show. And it was such a, it was a really special part of my career because fantastic journalists. We were at Al Jazeera. A lot of our people had come over from CNN or CBS or NBC. 
all these people had really high integrity and really cared about telling some fantastic stories in science and technology. And we were able to do things that were very uplifting. We were able to do things that were more investigatory and challenging. And, um, you know, it took me everywhere from the middle of the rainforest, which is, you know, my other backyard, I like to say, all the way up to the Arctic on an icebreaker with the U.S. Coast Guard to talk to them about climate change. I was able to take the submarine Alvin down 11,000 feet below to the bottom Ooh. of the ocean and look outside that window and say, I mean, it, was, it was as if it was Mars out there. And mm-hmm. I mean, literally, we've actually mapped more of the surface of Mars than we have mapped the bottom of our oceans. So it is the, the furthest extent of exploration right here on Earth. So doing a show like that was really amazing and it was really stimulating and um you know I, I think my career has allowed me to do things high and low and i've i've loved every aspect of it because there's shows like ready set pet that i'm on right now that i know is really reaching families and really reaching kids and planting those seeds both literally and figuratively to get that next generation of people who want to explore and care about nature and care about animal welfare so techno is fantastic. I love that. And I would love, yeah, it's, it's, been a good, it's been a good few years, you could say. Yeah, and, and what I, I think one of the cool messages in all that to some of our younger listeners is say yes to things. You know, take risks, especially, you know, when you're young, you've got an interest in science, there's so many potential, you know, avenues for you out there. And if you have a passion for the environment, for nature, for biodiversity, say yes to things, even if you have to sell your mattress <laughs> to get to the Amazon. <laughs> yeah. It's so worth it, you know. And, and Phil, I want to reemphasize, I mean, you know, you have a degree in biology and entomology, and so you're a scientist at heart. You know, when if this is Go Green Radio. We talk about environmental topics all the time. What are some of your greatest concerns about the environment and the future of our planet as a scientist? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. And I, I swear I take some days of the week to really let it sit on my mind and say, what are we doing to the environment? And then I take other days where in my mind I'm like, you know, what? I'm taking a day off and I'm just going to appreciate what we have because it's, it's daunting. And I think my biggest mm-hmm. concern when I look at the environment is how much is too much. You know, we've pushed and we've pushed these environments all over the world and, um, and all these products that we're getting from everywhere. And at what point are we going to reach that point where we've taken away too much and the habitats aren't sustainable? These giant patches of rainforest that you can fly over in the Amazon, you know, it's hard to tell when you're flying over it at the time, but we're eating away little bits of it every day. Um, you know, and the same goes here in the U.S., where we have completely taken away the middle of America. We used to have just this amazing prairie with bison everywhere, and we've completely reshaped that and made it much less diverse when it comes to the plant life there. And we're really starting to see the effects of that. And my childhood was spent playing in my backyard, playing fetch with my dog, and catching butterflies and chasing butterflies that would come around to the plants. What I'm afraid of is that when I have kids of my own and I have a backyard of my own, I want to make sure that my kids still get that simple pleasure of watching butterflies and bees fly around their yard a few times a day and and getting excited by that. 
And my concern is that we're affecting the environment in so many little ways that are accumulating that you could even have decent habitat in your backyard, but the numbers just won't be there. And there was Mm -hmm. a paper that just came out from a study in Puerto Rico, just got published this week, where they were looking at this rainforest there that wasn't necessarily being touched by humans, but the amount of insects in that rainforest had dropped hugely in the last couple decades. So somehow we're not even necessarily going in and taking things out. It's just that what we've been doing as a whole on this earth is putting pressure on these these areas out there that aren't quite able to handle it. And we really mm-hmm. need to wake up and say, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. And I think some people, you know, they um, a childhood spent outdoors. Um, you know, we're seeing increasing numbers of people moving to urban areas. You know, that's a global phenomenon. And as a result, you know, people in their everyday experience may not realize um, the, the decrease that we are experiencing in biodiversity. And I'm wondering, you know, you now live in Brooklyn, which is a very different, you know, kind of landscape. It's a more urban landscape. What are some ways that you see people in urban areas like Brooklyn connecting to the environment, connecting to nature, or maybe if they're not, ways they could so that they have the same perspective that you've just expressed? You know, it, it is a challenge being in a city like New York and living in Brooklyn, and I, I fully take on that challenge. And, um, you know, I one time had a producer who lived in New York who told me that she realized she probably hadn't stepped on real earth in about a year, meaning everywhere you go, it's concrete or asphalt or hardwood floors or an elevator or a hotel lobby. You don't, you're not normally just interacting with just plain earth, which blew my mind and really put people's lives and perspectives out here. And when I give talks to kids out here, I really have to kind of change the way I talk to them because they don't have the same opportunities that I had to even have something as simple as a yard with grass to play on. If you look at most parks mm-hmm. in New York, there was one across from my place in Soho that was getting this giant, you know, multi-million dollar renovation and they didn't put a single inch of grass in there, of real earth. It was all concrete and playgrounds and that kind of thing. And, you know, that's great. Like, I want kids to have an area where they can run around and play basketball or climb in a jungle gym. But nature has a pretty fun place, too, for us to hang out in. And I think we need, to, we need more of that. So um, I've really been a big advocate on parks because there are some really amazing ones. And I think people can really pressure their city councils to do better about making parks mm-hmm. more animal friendly. And there's a brand new one in Brooklyn called Domino Park. If you ever visit New York, go there because you have this fantastic view of the city. You're right under the Williamsburg Bridge. So it's just super iconic look. And they put in all of these native plants. And I nice. love it because we need nice. more native plants. And it's, uh, it's really cool to see. Very cool. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back with Bill, he's going to give us some uh, some life hacks, some sustainable tips, and we'll talk a little bit more about his show, Ready, Set, Pet. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Bye. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Thrilled that you could all join us out there. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Phil Torres, and he has a brand new show coming out on the CW called Ready, Set, Pet. Um, Phil, it's been great talking with you. You're so inspirational, and I think a lot of our, our young listeners, in particular our college students who listen to Go Green Radio, are really going to get a lot out of hearing your story and how you went from a college student studying biology and entomology to just doing some amazing projects on um, a variety of, of different platforms, and now your most recent one is with the CW and Ready, Set, Pet. Um, how can our listeners find out when and where this new show is going to be in their local area? Uh, I just want to make sure everybody gets a chance to tune in. Absolutely. You know, it, it is a little bit different on East and West Coast, so I would just check your TV guide, look on Saturday morning on the CW Network, and you can also look up uh, CW One Magnificent Morning on Google because they have a whole lineup of amazing shows. And the one right before me is hosted by a dear friend of mine named Allie Ward called Did I Mention Inventions? So if you want to learn about inventions and then learn about some pets and plants, that's a great hour of television that you could check out. So, yeah, check your TV guide and look for Ready, Set, Pets. Very cool, very cool. Um, and I've, I've been out on the Facebook page for Ready, Set, Pet, and it's really fun, and I know that there's just going to be more and more content added to that all the time, so very cool. Um, I, I saw that Turf Mutt is one of the sponsors of Ready, Set, Pet, um, and I, I don't know much about them. I'd love for you to tell, the, tell us about Turf Mutt 
and uh, and what we might find if we check them out online. You know, Turf Mutt just happens to be the most perfect sponsor for this show because their ambassador is a rescue dog. And so <laughs> you have this ambassador as a rescue dog, but then they're really all about getting people out there in their yards. And every time I talk to the sponsor, I'm like, we're, we're saying the same thing. They're, they're a nonprofit trying to get kids to and families to really interact with nature. And they basically say it starts right at your front door. See what's close. See what's in your yard. But also recognize the value of the trees that are lining your street or what grass can do in the park nearby. And so it's been a really fantastic sponsor because it, it's, in the best way possible, forces us to put in some great facts that I'd want in there anyways. And so it's, it's been a really fun relationship. That's really cool. And, uh, and, and I encourage our listeners to check them out online. All you have to do is Google Turf Mud. That's T-U-R-F-M-U-T-T. And you'll find a uh, really cool website that they've got there. You know, Phil, our listeners love to hear sustainable life hacks from our guests um, because everybody comes to this idea of green living or sustainable living in a different way. And I would just love to hear two or three things that you do in your life um, to, to live a sustainable, healthy life. Just give us some tips. Absolutely. Um you know, there's, there's so many great ones out there, and I really think one of the best things you can do is to start by learning. Um, really start to understand these products that you're buying and think about where they came from. So it's amazing how many times we interact with the rainforest every day, whether it be coffee or chocolate, um, a lot of hardwoods, things like that. So think of where it came from on Earth, and then think of where it's going. How is this thing going to be able to biodegrade? Um, is it worth it to buy this thing if you're only going to use it for a month and then it's going to end up in the trash? So really use your brain as a tool because we got some good brains out there. We just got to really learn and really take the time to think about these things. Um, so within there, I'd say buy certified sustainable products. Um, Rainforest Alliance has an amazing certification that does they it absolutely makes a difference on the ground. I've been to some of these places where these products come from, and you see that they care about the environment and they care about the people who are there, and that is so important because we can't separate the product uh, from the place it came from, but you also can't separate it from the mm-hmm. people who are there who are just trying to make a living. And then lastly, mm-hmm. if you have a yard, put in some native plants. Our you know, our amazing creatures in our backyard need our help. And native plants are great for birds. They're great for butterflies. They're great for bees. And we have such a treasure of biodiversity here in the U.S. And they, they need our help. It's at that point where we need more native plants out there. And that's a great way of contributing right at home. Love it. That's awesome. And, you know, speaking of the rainforest, I want to give you a chance to talk to us a little bit about the importance of the rainforest, you know, based on what you saw and what you know of the Amazon. Um, You know, the, the rainforest to me is, it's got two aspects. There's one aspect you can look at it and say, oh, we can get a lot of use out of this, right? It is this amazing thing that absorbs about a quarter of all of our car exhaust, all that CO2 gets absorbed down in the rainforest. Um, so it's very useful in that way. It is 
just full of discoveries waiting to be discovered when it comes to medicines, uh, when it comes to new innovative products, new innovative foods. So there's the that side where we say, okay, this is actually really useful for humanity. But then there's the other side where you say, this is this incredible gift that we have where it is full of these mysterious creatures that are going to take thousands of years for us to discover all of them and to tell their stories and to give it justice. And so the rainforest is, it's this beautiful, incredible thing that is out there that we should appreciate for what it is, for the mystery that it has, for the majesty, for the power. It's, it's incredibly hard to survive out there. I'm always so impressed with what the rainforest can do and how challenging it can be for humans out there. And um, so I just think we, we need to appreciate it both practically because lots of governments just look at those numbers. They say, how does this help our economy? Um, but we also need mm-hmm. to appreciate it emotionally for just being this, this great thing here on Earth. Well, and I think one of the things that's so interesting, when, when I come across students who have studied the Amazon, they are really amazed to learn what a global system we're part of, you know, and and how the rainforest and so many other uh, places like this on Earth impact people who live tens of thousands of miles away. You know, we could live, you know, on the opposite end of the globe and receive benefits and and healthy, you know, benefits from the, the rainforest. And I thank you so much for helping to illuminate that, and I thank you for doing what you're doing with Ready, Set, Pet on the CW. I'm so excited to see the success of that show. Phil, thanks for joining us on Go Green Radio, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in as well. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio, and until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.